KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. And welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, and on the show tonight, we got a bunch of folks up to some good trouble. From rural communities, electric vehicles, and battery storage, Utah's energy and innovation plan is something we'll be talking about later with folks from Heal Utah and Utah Clean Energy. Maybe there's a place for all of us in this green economy that's developing in the Beehive State. How much of fossil fuels are still a part of Utah's future? We'll find out. But we're going to get started right away with rallies and resources, a whole passel of folks uh, on deck. A couple of recorded interviews, one with Angela Dunn of the Sully County Health Department about monkeypox and the latest on COVID. Also, Lucas Horns from Project Rainbow. I zoomed with him earlier today to find out how it's going recruiting volunteers to stake pride flags this weekend and then in two weeks pick them up. They need about 200 more folks, so stick around to find out how you can get involved. Also, we are telling our stories, an interesting story project in our community. Find out how to get involved and sign up for that. It's for BIPOC youth age 15 to 20. Uplifting Ukraine concerts with Donna Sturring coming up. And Sophia Scott from Gender Bleep, also known as Gender F-U-Q, Pride Kickoff Concert. We got new music for New Music Monday, thanks to Sophia and the lineup for that show. Let's dig in first, though, to Military Appreciation and National Nurses Month with my first guest. Joining me, we have Andrew Neidegger. He is now the Executive Director of Salt Lake's campus of Arizona College of Nursing, a for-profit nursing college in our community. Hey, Andrew, thanks for coming in. Appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, twofer with you because it's Military Appreciation and National Nurses Month, and it's your military experience that ultimately led to you becoming a nurse. So you were in the Air Force for two years Yeah. in the early aughts. Yeah, I was um, 2004, 2005. Um, and while I was in the Air Force, I got really sick and uh, ended up spending a lot of time in the hospital. Uh, ultimately ended up getting uh, uh, medical leave from the, from the military and uh, was without a job and didn't know where to turn. Um, really... Uh, really took a lot of um, pride in the the great care that I got um, and really um, admired all the nurses that, that helped me during my journey uh, back to health. And when I got out of the military, um, decided to try to pay that back to, to the world and um, joined uh, as a nurse. So mm-hmm. I went to school and graduated from the University of Utah. And uh, started working as a floor nurse, uh, kept going, found out that I loved education, uh, continued on to get my master's degree and my doctorate degree, and uh, found my home at Arizona College of Nursing in Murray, Utah. So There you go. Class is starting up in June. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks. You can check out that on offer. But I'm kind of curious about that journey from military to nurses. When you're sick, the folks you see the most, I would think, in my experience, have been nurses in the hospital because they're making sure you eat, get your meds, they're answering the call when that button you push it and need some help with pain or just getting to the restroom. Yeah, we hear a lot about uh, frontline workers since COVID started, and nurses really are the frontline and the face of healthcare, and they really are the the ones that tend to you that that really give you that passionate, attentive care, and and really are the face of healthcare and so I really appreciated it was actually a nurse practitioner um, that ended up diagnosing my illness and got me onto that path towards health and so um, there's so many nurses out there and they really don't get the credit that they deserve Um, there's just there's so much that goes behind the scenes there are so many at the same time there's not enough and there's been a huge toll on nurses throughout COVID, uh, the, 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 the workload has been huge. Yeah, it actually started before COVID even, um, that we've been talking about the nursing shortage um, since, I, since before I started nursing. Um, COVID exacerbated that and really put a spotlight on that. Um, it, you know, unfortunately 
helped nurses get burned out. Yeah. And so we just need a lot more nurses out there. And um, that's what I love about my job is I get to help, you know, people become nurses and help the world. So how quickly can you become a nurse these days in your program or in general? Yeah, our program is three years long. Um, beginning to end, that includes all your general education. Um, there's no prerequisites coming into our school. Um, so it's, it's very fast paced. It's, it's very intense. Um, but three years to a, a bachelor's degree of nursing is, is a great way to go. Um, you know, some schools are, are for your traditional colleges. Um, with our program, you start as a nursing student day one. So mm-hmm. w- when you get accepted to the program, you're a nursing student, you're guaranteed progression through as long as you meet the academic standards. And um, it's just really a fantastic kind of speedway to, to becoming an RN. So. Well, with what we're calling the great resignation, which I just think is folks aren't paying what market rate really is, <laughs> but folks are looking at their options and also considering career changes. So have you seen more folks come into the program? Are you seeing more men, which only make up, what, 10, 11% of nurses? Yeah, men, uh, males uh, constitute about 11% of, of the population. Um, and, you know, nursing is great because it has options for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't matter where you're coming from, what point you are in life. We have um, students that are 18 years old to 53 years old um, and, you know, coming from every different pathway and walkway. Yeah. Um, so but there's you got to like people and you got to like sick people. So, you know, there's actually there, there's jobs where you don't have to do a lot of, you know, in in person patient care. I, I know some nurses that have kind of burned out from that and they yeah. go into administrative work. Um, They do some of the more behind-the-scenes type work. So there really is something for everybody Mm -hmm. in nursing. So, What would you say to the folks out there thinking of a career change? And, and, you know, a lot of folks want a mission with what they do, and I view nursing as that kind of an occupation. It's more than a job. Yeah, and that's really why I got into it. Um, I I thought about going to law school. I thought about going to business school. At the end of the day, I wanted to be in a career where I could hold my head up high. I could look my kids in the eye, and, and they can be proud of me. And that was really the driving force to going into nursing. Um, it's just, it's just very. It, when you become a nurse, you you don't realize it when you're going through the the school process. Um, but it really is a a life changing event, and it really it really encompasses every part of your life. And mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the great things about it is it, it's not just a job. It's a, it's a life. And to those out there in the military and already a nurse, Appreciation Month for both those communities. What do you have to say to them about the job they do? I could not be more proud of our military, um, our veterans. It was an honor to serve with them. Um, I try to do what I can to um, honor and and respect their sacrifice. Um, It's an interesting interesting thing to sit there um, in the recruiter's office and sign a paper that says, my life is yours now. Send me my where life you want. belongs to the country now. And um, send me where you will, and um, I'll do my best. So mm-hmm. um, they deserve all the, the respect and um, honor that we can give them. And um, I'm, I'm just proud to, to consider myself one of them. And um, just wish everyone a, a happy military month. And to the nurses that are still showing up every day despite this ongoing pandemic and now monkeypox. Right. Absolutely. It's, you know, with, with healthcare, if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just, uh, we, we put on the uniform every day. Um, scrubs. And, yeah. We put on the scrubs. We put on the scrubs every you day. You got better scrubs than I remember as a kid. So they're super comfortable. It's great <laughs> to be able to wear your, your pajamas to school, so, to, to work sometime. Um, but, um, you know, the, those scrubs are actually a badge of honor for us. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we put on those scrubs, we know we're affecting people's lives and, and we have to to be that professional and, and really take care of those people that we're charged to. How big a shortage are we still experiencing? Oh, gosh, it's just it, it's compounding. Um, you know, before the, the Great Recession happened, we were looking at the, the great um, the great retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're in the, the baby boomer era where we're going to lose. We, we were planning Huge on losing drain, 15 right? to 20 percent of our uh, nursing population anyway. And that that. That section that we're that um, population that we're losing are the nurse leaders. Mm-hmm. They're the ones with all the great experience, with all the knowledge of, and all the history. And so we're losing a, a great, great um, piece of our population there. And that we can't replace them. But what we can do is start building new leaders and 
and start getting them into, um, you know, more leadership positions, get them trained at a higher level. And really we need to, we need to do this or else our population is going to suffer. It's, um, you know, our health is on the line. We need them to take care of us when we get ill, as we age. So it starts with day one in class. Where can folks learn more about the Salt Lake campus of Arizona College of Nursing? Yeah, you can find us at Um, arizonacollege.edu. Go ahead and fill out a... uh, an interest form, and we'll have one of our representatives contact you. Andrew Neidecker, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, I had a chance to Zoom with Dr. Angela Dunn earlier today about what's going on with these two cases of monkeypox. Here's that conversation. Yeah, so today we released the announcement that we have two probable monkeypox cases. They do live together, and they recently traveled to um, a place where there's known cases of monkeypox. So that's where we think they, they got exposed. What is monkeypox and what does it look like if I'm looking at my body going, maybe? <laughs> so monkeypox is um, from the orthopox family, meaning it's related to smallpox, but not as serious. It's a virus that generally causes flu-like illness initially for the first couple of days. So you might have a fever, feeling fatigue, body aches, and then you'll get a rash. Usually it starts you know, on the face or the trunk and can spread out to your palms. Um, and it starts as a flat rash, but then over time, it, it grows into kind of um, pustules or, or fluid-filled blisters um, over your body. So how concerned are you, given that these two cases have been confirmed in Salt Lake County? How can you contract this? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the good news is, is that there's not a, a general risk or threat to the public right now. Um, it is really hard to spread monkeypox. We're not talking about covid you have to have really close skin-to-skin contact in order to spread monkeypox really well. There is the possibility that monkeypox can be spread by respiratory droplets, um, but it doesn't spread that well. So it takes really close contacts face-to-face for over three hours with someone who's infected to, to possibly get infected by monkeypox. But in general, it's that skin-to-skin contact with an infected individual sharing of body fluids that will get you sick. So again, it's more um, the novelty and the rarity of the disease, which is why it's making headlines than it is the risk to the public. So if for some reason you count yourself as someone who might have been exposed or you're seeking mm-hmm. sim- seeing symptoms in yourself or your family, what should you do? Yeah, so people who have you know traveled, for example, to, to areas where there's known monkeypox spread, right now that's several countries in Western Europe, Canada, Australia, um, or if you've been in contact with somebody who has a rash, it's a good idea to be on guard for those symptoms for yourself, right? Look out for a fever, look out for a rash. If you do develop them, isolate yourself and, and contact your healthcare provider and they'll advise you on the next steps. And countries in West or Central Africa are also on that list. So if you're thinking of traveling to any one of these areas where monkeypox outbreaks have been reported, what should you do? You have travel clinics, you know, um, right? Yeah. So the Salt Lake County Health Department has a travel clinic, and there's several around the county that you can go to to get more information. It's not a reason to not travel or delay your travel. It's just something to be aware of. If you're going to um, West Africa or Central Africa, it's important to not come into contact with rodents. That's how it's pr- primarily transmitted there. Um, this cluster we're seeing in Western Europe and, and Australia and Canada and the U.S. now Um, is being spread person to person. So it's a little different type of cluster. Um, So you want to make sure that um, you are aware of your own symptoms and not coming into close contact with people you don't know that well. And while I have you, just another update on COVID in our community. So we're still in this steady state of um, really plateau hospitalizations due to COVID. We are seeing a little bit of an uptick in people seeking care due to COVID-like illness. But wastewater surveillance, which is our early indicator, has plateaued as well. Um, So we're still in this steady state, really pushing people to get their booster if they're eligible. Now, 5 to 11-year-olds are eligible. And it's so important that people do that now while we're starting to see kind of these early indicators of increase in spread so we can prevent another surge on our hospitals this summer. 
Dr. Angela Dunn, Executive and Medical Director at the Salt Lake County Health Department. Check tonight's show notes for a link to COVID information, you know, testing and vaccination and boosters, as well as those travel clinics that the doctor mentioned. Stick around, Lucas Horn's coming up in just a bit, but there's a really great project that's happening this summer in our community, and I've got three folks here to talk about it. Joining me for the We Are Telling Our Stories summer retreat that's coming up in June, we have Masha Shukovich. Hey, Masha, how are you? Hey, Laura, I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. She's here. frantically searching for a poem because uh, <laughs> she was put on notice by <laughs> Willie Palomo, who alerted me to this uh, this whole retreat that uh, she might ask you for a poem. Masha is with the Utah Center for Documentary Expression and Art. Uh, J.R. Martinez is here from University Neighborhood Partners, another partner in this project. Hi. Hello, thanks for having us. And Efren Corrado, who will be facilitating movement, former RDT dancer, and been on the show many times. Good to see you. Thank you for having me again. Always a treat to be here. All right. So let's talk about what we are telling our stories about. First of all, folks, deadline coming up June 1st. And Masha, who is this for? Who are you asking to apply to participate in this storytelling retreat? Well, we're calling this storytelling retreat, We're Telling Our Stories, and it will be taking place in uh, Salt Lake City's west side from June 15th to July 16th, 2022. And this is a wonderful opportunity for young BIPOC, uh, black, indigenous, and people of color, and or LGBTQ slash queer folks to sort of dive deeper into their own stories, to connect to what they care about in the world, and to receive guidance on how to share their beautiful creative gifts with their communities. So we'll be working together for five weeks. We'll have five weeks of dialogue, story sharing, writing, music listening, and body movement. And we will collectively explore our origin stories, our connection to place and land, and center what matters most to us as people in our communities. And you're all kind of co-facilitating and bringing your experiences to this retreat for folks as well. So JR, I think I was reading something about your bio at University Neighborhood Partners. It's, I'm trying to recall the exact phrasing, something about truth cipher or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, I was going to say I'm a partnership manager with University Neighborhood Partners. So, you know, part of my work is to bridge these kinds of connections and get people together who are interested in doing many different kinds of work around um, you know, youth-centered praxis and, and educational opportunities. But my, you know, my passion and, and heart and the thing that has led me to where I'm at is a, is a background in sort of youth work and using poetry and, and art and many different disciplines as a way to, to ask questions about the world and to do that with young people. And young people of color, you know, specifically has been really my experience. So Truth Cipher was one of the, uh, you know, very privileged parts of, of my life you know it's not a group that's as active anymore but we did a, a lot of amazing things uh doing that kind of work hosting um open mics doing community workshops and many uh wonderful things like this that we're going to do again what is it you're going to be asking of the youth that participate in this and i'm guessing you know trying to reach them to sign up in their pockets of the community that they're in and saying hey this is going to be for you it's going to be a supportive space yeah so you know i work with youth fairly often still right uh, directly in many classrooms and i work with other people who work with youth directly so i feel you know very lucky lucky to still have connection to what's really going on in their worlds mm -hmm. and to be able to find ways to speak to them about you know to hear what they're actually saying they care about and to, and to say you know hey, come here to this thing. We got this thing that we're doing for you to, to go deeper into that, right? Mm -hmm. or, or to, you know, many people and, and young folks I work with love music. And so, you know, that's always, it's finding the things that they show you that they care about to find the things that, that they're showing you that they want to experience and then, mm -hmm. you know, creating that opportunity and, and to say, here, come do this with us. Yeah. Well, Efren, movement's going to be part of this. You're a former dancer with Repertory Dance Theater. And I'm just curious what this would have meant to you at this age that you're trying to recruit for to participate in We Are Telling Our Stories. Yes, one of the, the big, uh, you know, <clears throat> logs that I have been trying to, to unfasten in the course of my adult life has been where did I lose my identity as a Latin 
member of the community and where did I find my identity as a, a BIPOC queer member of the community and I think that this allows us the opportunity to maybe allow for that storytelling to begin at an earlier age where mm-hmm. with that sense of identity and belonging the opportunity to speak up on yeah. those values becomes a really centered and important part of your development as an adult later on and and the fact that we can go back and, and try to find those those moments those little nuggets of stories in our bodies and trying to also provide that as an, an another system of communicating with the community um, I think it's going to be really exciting. I hope that people get really excited about it, and I hope that they <laughs> join us because it's not just about dancing and prancing. It really is not that scary, I promise. <laughs> well, so what kind of movement facilitation, what does that mean? What does that look like for me or whoever's listening out there going, well, what am I going to be asked to do? Yeah, well, you know, I am lucky enough to have a background in in dance, but uh, most uh, of the tools that we'll be using here is comes out of the system um, it's called the La Bambertinia Fundamentals and La Notation. So it's actually a, a form of, of uh, script about movement that you facilitate. So it's not like I'm going to ask you, oh, show me what a cloud looks like. It's, <laughs> it's more like okay. we're lucky enough to be working with two phenomenal writers and we'll be extracting sort of images of what does it look like to, to look at a language and those stories and moments and tones and find shapes and forms and pathways and really tying them together as a way of tying in like the current that you can find within the poem. So it's yeah. not going to be about you kicking your leg up to your ear because you know I couldn't even do that when I was dancing. So yeah. we're not gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're not gonna do that. It's gonna be about uh, finding pathways and how really we see the natural forms of movement in our community. Well, Masha Shukovich with the Utah Center for Documentary Expression and Art. What is it ultimately? What's the outlet or the the end result that you're hoping happens? Will it be accessible to just the group, or is there going to be an exhibition? We're going to have a performance, which will be open to the families and community members who are affiliated and connected to these young folks that uh, we're hoping to bring into this process of unleashing their creativity and their creative power. We wish for folks to be creative and freely so. And so that's um, one of the ideas behind the creation of the Center for Documentary Expression and Art. We're all about telling stories. We're all about art, filmmaking, narrative writing, visual art, and music. And we would love to help uh, young folks look into um, their own experiences and create beautiful stories, beautiful movement, powerful stories, and powerful movement from these internal experiences that sometimes don't get to be shared. Well, I hope you found a poem to share. Before we get there, though, I was looking I at the, the <laughs> sign-up and deadline again. The application deadline is June 1st. Um, you got to be between the ages of 15 and 20, identify as right. BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and or persons of color, LGBTQ+, queer. Um, you got to want to do this kind of work, too. But trust me, five weeks, you'll loosen up and get into this, and there will be snacks and a stipend. Yes, there is a $200 <laughs> stipend. So you're not having to pay for this summer camp. No. This is, this is a, turning that notion of summer camp on its head. Exactly. How many spots do you have room for? We have 15 spots, um, but we might be able to expand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If folks uh, really want to join us, uh, mm. we'll be happy to accommodate yeah. them. Well, under the rubric of um, do as I do and say, what do you get to share? I got an excerpt from a poem that I shared at um, the Poetry and Arts Festival uh, in Salt Lake City last year uh, as a part of the Woke Words Um performance and this is called who am i from and it is all about my experience uh, as an immigrant and a person of color and i will just read um, and share um, just a tiny bit because this is a a lengthier poem (laughs) but i will share the beginning of it who am i from you take one look at me frowned and ask do you speak english the real question on your mind is what are you But you can no longer ask such things at airports, even when you're wearing a TSA uniform and a white man's knowing smirk to go along with it. As you brandish a hand swab in my face like a thread, let me introduce you to my ancestors. I am from the potato of polenta eaters with strong accents and sizzling R's rolled into their thirsty tongues like cabbage leaves stuffed with rice and walnuts and longing too vast to fit into the wheat fields where geese were fed better than children so their fatty black livers could be served at other people's white clothes, dinner tables. I'm from the crag chieftains and sheep shaggers up in the mountains, 
where even the eagle cannot see their toes when the mist descends over the lakes, sitting open like the murky eyes of slate cyclops. I am from the red fez wearers and pear brandy bakers, wooden pipes between their tobacco-stained lips, fingers dark yellow like urine to match their silk sashes and their whiskers and Turkish curses stuck between their teeth. I am from the women with brown skin and braided black hair, their long skirts graceful like clouds, rings sparkling like fish, their ankles showing brazen, like the morning of the day one of them left their husband with a paring knife stuck between his shoulder blades. And I'll stop there. Got to give you the proper poetry snaps, right? You guys, okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. So, is there a website that we can send people to to check out this whole "We Are Telling Our Stories" program? Yeah, there's a couple of places. So one one site is Truth Cipher. Actually, Facebook. We have a community group page, so it's Facebook slash Truth T R U T H Cipher C Y P H E R, and there's a post there. Um, you know, explaining a little bit about this. Uh, you can go find the links and QR code there as well. Um, but we also have it on some of our IG accounts as well. Great. Um, I will put links to all of that in wonderful. tonight's show notes. But I know Willie Palomo, where I saw it with Utah Book Fest, it was the, the first Instagram. But uh, we'll put all the socials for you in there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. And I'd like to extend our microphones to the retreat group to come in and share some of the spoken word items that come out, if there's some produced sound pieces, we're happy to share those with our listeners too, okay? Wonderful, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Check tonight's show notes. And now Lucas Horns from Project Rainbow needs some help staking pride flags this weekend. And there are quite a, a few flags to stake. Here's my conversation with him earlier today on Zoom. How many flags? We have um, about 5,600 flags to stake this weekend. So From where to where? <laughs> we are staking from uh, as far north as Preston, Idaho, as far south as oh, Nephi, west to Tooele, and east to Vernal. So pretty much the northern half of the state. That's fantastic. So you need volunteers, I'm guessing. And I was reading on your sign up for this that folks can sign up in their own neighborhood. Yep. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're doing it county by county. And so you'll at least be guaranteed your county of choice. Um, and we're encouraging people if they have a specific neighborhood, they want to reserve an earlier time slot in the weekend. Um, and we'll just give out kind of neighborhoods within the county on a first-come, first-served basis. So what should volunteers be prepared to do? Any special equipment they need to bring to the table? Nope, just themselves um, and maybe a friend or two. So uh, volunteers will be given a list and supplies to stake the flags. Uh, Our flags are just a little over six feet long, and so they fit in almost any car, even sedans, as long as the back seats fold down. We've had we have fit flags in, I think, every vehicle out there. So um, you do need to be a vehicle owner. If you're not, we'll take your help um, anyways, loading flags into cars. Uh, so send us a message on Instagram or email us if you'd like to help, but you don't have a vehicle. Um, for those staking flags, you're going to be driving around to about 20 addresses or so. should take about two hours, um, and we'll pound some rebar into their front yard, slip a flag over it, and move on to the next one. It's a super fun time, especially if you go with a friend or two and um, grab some sodas or coffees with you and <laughs> have, have a good time. Well, I am guessing that uh, with 5,600 flags, you still probably need, what, at least 25% of that number in volunteers to make this happen? We, yeah, last I checked, which was last night, we were about 200 volunteers shy of our goal, so we need um, we need a lot a lot more people to sign up in the next few days. So yeah, anyone anyone who wants to come kick off Pride Week with us, we will definitely take you. You also have a rescue brigade. Correct. Yeah. So if you're um, maybe unable to volunteer on the 28th and 29th, but still want to help out, maybe later that week. We have a rescue brigade. Uh, we, we always have a handful of flags that get missed and need to send more volunteers out um, in the 
few days to follow our staking days. Um, and so we'll just be sending you out to kind of a handful of random addresses spread out um, depending on where you live um, to flags that got missed. And then are you also asking folks to commit to retrieve the flags as well, June 11th and 12th? Correct, yeah. So anyone who um, stakes flags, we're asking that you uh, collect the same route on June 11th and 12th. Uh, and that it's totally on your own schedule. So you can do it as early or as late in the day on either of those days. Um, and we'll be a little flexible if you need to maybe collect on Monday or the Friday before. So 5,600 pride flags going up this weekend and Project Rainbow needs volunteers, folks. Lucas, where can people learn more and sign up? Yes, yeah, come sign up at projectrainbowutah.org slash volunteer. And that is Lucas Horns. Check tonight's show notes for a link to Project Rainbow. And if you have some time this weekend, and also June 11th and 12th on the pickup side of things, please do sign up. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. Still in our cavalcade of stars for rallies and resources, a bunch of things happening in our community that you can get involved in. And one of them might be supporting efforts to raise funds for folks in Ukraine. Joining me to talk about it is Donna Storing from a, a nonprofit that's moved to Utah recently called Listen for Life. Hi, Donna. How are you? Thanks for having oh, us. Oh, sorry. It'd help if I turned on your microphone. Thank you for having us. Great All these you. folks coming in out of the studio. I'm getting a little confused about who's on which <laughs> mic. But so first of all, a little background. What is Listen for Life? Okay, I founded Listen for Life when I was living in London and traveling as artistic ambassador for the UK and the USA and found that so many musicians of all styles were really struggling to keep alive their traditions, their cultures, and to get heard on global media. So we created this global um, organization, family, community that brings the energies of all the musicians to projects they care about. So it helps them to use their gifts in the service of others. So we have projects all kinds all over the world. And uh, we have just moved ourselves here and moved the headquarters of Listen for Life here. And we're hoping to launch three of our main projects that happen in other places of the world here in Utah as well. What are those three projects? Uh, one is Travels with Music, and that helps social studies educators and English as a second language educators to teach K-12 through classes through music, videos and interviews with master musicians. That's fantastic. Thank you. We want to really help teachers around the state know that this exists, and we've made it free since COVID. So it's online. They can get hold of it. It's called Travels with Music. Second one is uh, music for Medicine, which is creating intentionally uh, driven music samples that are used in ICUs, hospice care, hospitals, and for now, exhausted medical staff themselves yeah. to create actual neurological and physiological changes in the body through mm. these particular song samples. And they're instrumentals and by and large. I listen to some on your only website. Instrumental. Yeah. And there's just that power at a certain a frequency and a certain tempo to calm you down. Classical does that more for me now these days than anything the older I get. And you mm -hmm. are a, a classically trained renowned pianist, right? Yeah, I've been doing it my whole life. Mm -hmm. And uh, this these I've also been very involved my whole life in music and medicine. So this has been an amazing opportunity for yeah. us. So we're now trying to donate these CDs and music devices to medical workers all over the state and hospitals throughout the state to know that they can use them for their patients or themselves. We'll put links in the show notes, folks, so if Great. you're interested in that, you can get involved. And then the last one is yeah. what really brings you here today, That's and these right. are the Uplifting Ukraine concerts That's right. under your Notes for Nourishment program. That's absolutely right. A third one of our main projects is called Notes for Nourishment. What happens in those is that master musicians, uh, renowned musicians, donate their time and talents to play for free, free one-hour family-friendly concerts that nourish their audience, while the audience, we hope, will donate funds to a nonprofit chosen by the performers uh -huh. that nourishes the hungry, the homeless, or the hurting in their community. So we've done these concerts throughout the world for many years for a variety of causes. 
But when the war hit in Ukraine, I just said, we have to do something. Yeah. So we've ended up creating a whole new series of Notes for Nourishment concerts around the world to simply raise funds for Ukraine and for vetted organizations in the Ukraine and uh, surrounding countries that help the refugees as well. We'll put in the show notes tonight, folks, how you can just straight up donate to this program, but there's also online global broadcasts, broadcasts available. But Friday, June 3rd, Libby Gardner Concert Hall up at the University of Utah, and then Saturday, June 4th, Waterford School Concert Hall in Sandy. There are two concerts going on. That's right. Uh, right here in Utah, our, our first two performances of Notes for Nourishment, we're very excited, and we hope people will come out. These are free, family-friendly, one-hour programs, no intermission, and top musicians. And then we ask for donations at the door or online at any time Mm -hmm. uh, towards these projects, and you'll be able to watch them afterwards online as well. So you're playing. Who else is on the gig? So we have uh, bassoonist Jessica Wiley, oboist Luca De La Foren, violist Camille Cole, uh, cellist Laura Posey, guest violinist Phil Brezhna, and myself. And the first night we have a traditional Ukrainian singer who will open the program for oh, us. Wow. We're hoping to get someone for the second night as well. And I really encourage people to come check out the Sandy performance venue if you've never been there it is really lovely at waterford school on 9400 south and about 15th east so what's the website where folks can check all of this out you can go to listen for life those three words spelled out dot org and the homepage will link you to all the information sites and you can also go to our facebook listen for life and notes for nourishment both on facebook well donna storing thank you so much for coming in thank we'll you put so all much. that in the show notes and uh i'm gonna have to talk to you get maybe some folks to come in and play live eventually okay oh that'd be fun all right now, speaking of concerts uh coming up to kick off pride is gender fuq we're going to talk about it with sophia right sophia scott in just a moment but first, one of the bands on the bill, Somebody, Anybody, Buzzer on KRCL 90.9. little buzzer from somebody anybody one of the bands on the bill for gender fuq coming up on june 2nd i believe it is let's find out sophia scott is here from shecock she puts it together how you doing i'm well thank you good to see you good to see you too so this is the fourth year mm -hmm. but it's also the first year with a lineup that's all trans gender non-conforming musical acts right you know surprisingly i was able to find some and scrape them all together and stick here them in, in utah show. yes here in zion so w w tell me about the bill tell me where uh, we do it at urban lounge we uh basically have a residency there now uh we'll do it the thursday of pride every year uh -huh. um so this year we're going a little bit longer we're going we're starting at six uh till 10 and then we're going to move inside from 10 to whenever you get tired and go home uh, but inside we have a an opening act uh, my band and then another second of drag act second of two drag acts and a dance party close it out so tons of fun mm-hmm raising some money, getting some folks on stage, and in no small part, challenging gender norms and stereotypes. With all that's going on in the world, and especially at the legislative level, mm. how important is it to you to keep doing that? It's so important right now. It's the most important thing, especially, and it's, I'm so glad that we were able to find 
um, 100% uh, transgender, non gender non-conforming uh, acts to fill the bill uh, for a pride event specifically. Um, I think it's like really super important to get everyone's messages out there. Um, identity and um, visibility are super important, especially now. Mm -hmm. So again, Gender FUQ 2022 coming up on June 2nd at Urban Lounge. We'll put a link in the show notes where folks, you can get your tickets. It's hosted by the Whore of 94. Who is that? <laughs> uh, she is the successor from our last host, Mana Diet. Mm -hmm. uh, she is Mana Diet's drag baby. So <laughs> it was only natural. So you know it's going to be a good party. Yes. That's what I'm saying. We aim to have a good time. Uh, you're playing Sheacock with a Vengeance, Bly Wallentine. In fact, Bly sent me a new single. Hasn't been released yet. Oh. And we're going to play that too. But what's the best website or place for folks to check out Gender FUQ? So you can find us on Instagram, Gender FUQ. And uh, I believe you can just, there's a QR code that we whipped up okay. that you can get tickets from from there. I'll put it in the show notes tonight. And uh, I think you can find some like urbanlounge.com as well. There you go. We'll put a link in there, but it starts at 6 p.m. on June 2nd. I Come early, stay late, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sophia, thank you so much. Thank you. So here's Limit to My Love, Bly Valentine on KRCL 90.9.
Outdoor Afro celebrates and inspires black connections and leadership in nature. Now with chapters in Salt Lake City and Park City. More details at OutdoorAfro.com. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! coming your way at 7, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8. Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30, and Brand New Day with John Florence kicks off every weekday morning at 6 a.m. All right, time to get into a bit of a panel discussion about Utah's energy innovation plan and what the future looks like. And joining us, we have three folks in the studio to help us kind of tease this out, especially from the nonprofit perspective. Joining us from Heal Utah, we have Macy Gonzalez. Hi, Macy, how are you? Oh, you know what? Again, I got to turn the microphones on. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And you brought with you as well the uh, Alex Villu. Hey, Alex, how are you? Hey, Larry. Doing well. What's Good. your role at uh, Heal Utah? I am a policy associate. All right. So I focus mostly on our climate and clean air campaigns. Can't wait to hear what you think about this energy plan. And then from uh, from Utah Clean Energy, Government and Corporate Relations Manager, Josh Kraft. Hey. Hey, Laura. So digging into this plan that the governor put out. Um, I kind of want to talk, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. Mm. So if you can kind of first, uh, Josh, tell us about Utah Clean Energy briefly and what you thought when this plan dropped. So um, the Utah Clean Energy, we are a nonprofit that focuses on climate solutions, clean energy opportunities. We've been around. This is our 20th year, mm. so we're excited about that. Uh, and, I mean, so the governor's energy plan, I think it provides a good start. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say that, you know, the good things, I think there's an acknowledgement that climate is a reality, that there are a lot of opportunities in accelerating our transition to um, electric vehicles and renewable energy. There's also some good opportunity to invest some infrastructure so, and transition some of the communities who have been our energy producing communities. There need to be a lot more specifics about yeah. and some goals in each sector about how we're going to get there and how the governor and the legislature are going to lead to do that. Okay, Macy and Alex, we're going to have you do it as well. And Macy, you're the communications person over there at Heal Utah. So if you'd remind folks about the nonprofit, what you do. Yeah, definitely. So we're an environmental policy nonprofit here in Salt Lake City. We work on environmental policy issues regarding clean air, clean energy, and radioactive waste issues. We do this very community-engaged uh, centered with a lot of uh, community leaders involved in the policymaking. Um, and regarding the uh, uh, energy plan, uh, just as Josh said, it's, it's a big opportunity piece from what we're seeing. Uh, there's a lot of good and bad that we'll talk about today. Okay. All right, Alex, let's, from a policy perspective, what did you think when you saw this? Grab that mic and get it right to where you need it. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, you know, just to echo what May say and Josh are saying, um, there's some roses and there's some thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great to see the governor talking about climate. It's really great to see the governor talking about clean energy. But, you know, it is it is certainly very vague. Well, and uh, it leads off. Uh, admittedly, I'm going to focus on the executive summary because it's about all I could take. <laughs> Wonky-wise, right? Um, Affordability, reliability, and sustainability are Utah's priorities for all its energy-related work. So there's the byword, right? This is the watchword. Mm. And then uh, we get into the second graph. Utah is an energy-rich state with vast traditional and renewable resources. And that's one of the complaints is that we're too looking backward. Um, But traditional comes first. Uh, The opportunities to explore and develop new technologies will help maintain and grow Utah's position as an energy leader. Then it says we are in the top 15 states for producing coal, crude oil, natural gas, and have an increasing amount of solar, wind, hydroelectric, and geothermal capacity which make up the bulk of Utah's renewable energy generation. So in a, in terms of balance, let's get you, your take, Alex, on what you think this says or doesn't say. Yeah. Um, so balance is one of our issues with the energy plan. You know, they like to use the term any of the above or, or all of the above throughout mm-hmm. all of their messaging for this. Kind of an but, all energy matters kind of <laughs> comment. <laughs> you know, maybe I won't say that, but maybe that's, yeah, maybe they should try that one out too. But, you know, uh, we know that in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change, we need to divest our utility systems uh, 80% from fossil fuels by 2030 and entirely by 2030. 
35. So to see language that says all of the above or any of the above, mm-hmm. we really need to see this clean energy as a central part of this plan, not just a piece and parcel of it. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think there, Josh? Well, I mean, I like the fact that the plan looks at some of the opportunities we have at the state to develop our clean energy resources, electric vehicles, geothermal, solar. We got to do some transmission. We frankly, we got to do some critical minerals and supplies. That's that's going to be some challenging stuff. Um, but you know, again, there needs to be some more detail about the policies about how we're going to get there yeah. and, and decarbonize our electricity sector um, and make were sure. Are you expecting the, more specifics? I don't know what I was, you know, expecting. Yeah. It's year one, but it 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 ended up being, um, you know. It, just in terms of, I mean, people should look at this. There's a sort of seven commitments. I think it's worth taking a look for folks at home who sure. are interested just to sort of say, hey, where where they think the states are headed. And so, but, you know, they're going to need to look at some policy options um, and set some goals for let's, efficiency in buildings like this. Everyone likes efficiency in buildings. They're doing some decent stuff on mass transit. Let's see where they want to take the state there. Those are mm-hmm. things that we're going to need more of in the coming year to actually realize the you know, the reductions we're going to need to avoid, avoid the worst impacts of climate change. Yeah. Alex, when it comes to efficiency in buildings, the the biggest sector that I've heard about that has yet to grapple with that is literally homes, uh, single family homes, multifamily homes, because building codes. And you look at the makeup of our legislature, there's a lot of home builders and realtors and developers up there. And that to them, I think, says money up front. So what do you think the challenge is there to get um, residential units codes into a more energy efficient, renewable frame of mind? Yeah, um, you know, and, and this this is a really important time for building codes. Um, the Utah Building Code Commission is, is actually meeting tomorrow at, at noon, if you want to tune in. Um, they're not taking public comment. They, they'll take written comment. But uh, tomorrow at noon, they're meeting and, and discussing adopting more sustainable business uh, building codes, excuse me. Um, and, and you're right. Um, that is a really, really important issue. And, and, and for HEAL, um, not only is it climate, but it kind of blends the line into clean air as well. A lot mm. of these issues, they affect our air shed um, and they affect um, greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. So that's definitely something we're really paying close attention to as uh, Utah Clean Energy also works a lot with those building codes. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's important stuff. And we'd like to see more specifics just throughout the entire plan and especially with building codes, certainly. Well, Mesa, I wanted to talk to you as the communications person, but if you'll forgive me, perhaps the youngest person in the room, when it comes to (laughs) what you're looking at for housing in this tight housing market, are things on your list in terms of whether it's a home or an apartment or or what have you that prove um, that a developer or a builder or a property owner or a manager is thinking about this? And then you are also charged with communicating um, information that moves that conversation forward. It's very personal, I, th- I would think, for all of us, but I, I'm just looking at the generation behind me going, what do you got to look, look forward to with housing stock? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's I'm not going to lie, it's very not the happiest thing to think about with housing. Um, I think a lot of us are really thinking we can to get whatever we can uh, with just how housing is right now, but sustainability is a huge part in it. I know a lot of my friends, even with my apartment right now, we're like, why isn't there solar panels on this apartment? Like we start thinking about a lot of this stuff when it comes to housing. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to be pushing forward with a lot more in the future uh, because we saw how the system worked right now with how our housing is and it's not working. So we mm-hmm. want to see a different way when it comes to housing. With the messaging that Heal Utah does and the campaigns it works on to get folks in support of these ideas, what are you hearing from the community? Do, do we want this? Are, are, is, does this plan actually, is it leading or following what the public wants? I think there's a lot of confusion from what I'm seeing. I think a lot of people want some sort of plan, but they don't know what the solution is. Yeah. So there's a lot, especially in Utah, there's a lot of is fully renewable the way, is this other stuff traditional the way. So I think there's just a lot of misdirection and also with this plan not having that direction i think it's confusing us even more it's like okay they don't even know what they want to do so (laughs) what do we want josh Kraft, government and corporate relations manager with utah clean energy i take it you're going to be watching this building codes meeting tomorrow yeah and what why why is this important because i've not seen them had the will in the past 10 years to do this we've done good things with the building code in the past both 
for big buildings or commercial buildings, and we continue to do that. It's the residential buildings where we got to go faster, yeah. and it's going to come before the legislature. It starts at the Code Commission. Look, we also have a ton of money from this new Infrastructure Act to do existing homes. ARPA. To do, yeah, um, it's the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act is the new one. Okay. ARPA was before. But, we, yeah, we have lots of money, and we need to invest that smartly in our existing homes um, to, to make them tighter, more electric less combusting, less fossil fuels in our in our housing stock that's mm-hmm. already here. You talked about these commitments, and folks, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can uh, get to this plan and these commitments. And I'm looking at one of them. Utah is committed to pragmatic, market-driven climate solutions that enable innovative energy production. I see a lot of lawmakers, though, argue over what is driving the market, and mm. that can get in the way of seeing it clearly. And as you've all said, this plan is not specific enough. So what is it you're hoping to see or push for over interim so that when we hit the next legislative session in January, something tangible comes up? Well, I'll start. I mean, they we need to invest some of this infrastructure funds in, it's kind of boring, but transmission lines, all the EV charging stations around. We got some school buses that we can make more efficient. That's the place I think we can start. And then the building code issue going forward, um, that that's sort of our baseline for how we're going to look over the next year. Mm-hmm. Those does two this, spots. Does this mean, and this is for anybody, um, incentivizing existing homeowners? Like I just moved to a place, and I'm like, where can I get a? Where am I going to put my EV charging station in? Because the next car, if I'm so lucky to get one, it's got to be electric. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's that's the two sides of the coin. It's regulations and, and incentives. And in the state of Utah, we we certainly look at incentive programs as as something that is going to help move the needle on both climate and, and clean air. Um, we were lucky enough, Healy Utah helped put together a package, uh, Senate Bill 136, last session, which is going to put together a study through the Department of Environmental Quality that will provide incentive programs for the inland port, um, all types of different entities um, from rural to to urban points um, to come up with a diesel emissions reduction plan, um, basically retiring old dirty diesel engines and adopting new cleaner technology for places like the Inland Port and, and beyond. So um, we definitely need to look at incentive programs, and that's that's a big step for the state of Utah. Mesa, you got some thoughts on that? For interim, I'm hoping to see a little bit more environmental justice-focused uh, policy and initiative from our leaders. I know there's a lot of talk around about electric vehicles, but I also want to make sure that we address that not everyone, especially my community, can go buy an electric vehicle. And we right? say my community. As, as you're Latino, talking about, yeah. As Latino uh, gay man, I guess, uh-huh. it, it, it's not something I can just go and get yeah. an electric car. So I'm hoping they can think a little bit broader and say, okay, electric vehicles isn't something that everyone's going to be able to just afford right mm-hmm. out. So let's look at different ways to help them get those electric vehicles or maybe an Electric bike. Yeah. Just this different thinking, rethinking our way, because right now we're really sent around this car world, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's going to last. Well, what is the website where folks can catch up with Heal Utah? Yeah, you guys can visit us at healutah.org. Yeah, we have all of our latest updates and also at Heal Utah on all the major platforms for social media. You also encourage people to get involved with watching the legislature with Heal Utah on this score so folks can get involved, they can volunteer. Yes, there's volunteer opportunities. There's also different events that we have throughout the uh, interim session. We're actually having community advocacy circles uh, before interim where you guys can come and hang out with us, connect, and organize regarding the top issues for interim. And press the cause. Speaking of which, Alex, you mentioned this building codes committee tomorrow. What else is coming up over interim that you want people to keep an eye on in concert with Heal Utah? There's a whole number of things. Um, And and like Mesa said, you know, the agendas are set a couple of days before each session. Um, so each session of interim, um, if you're not familiar with it, is halfway through the month. They take the month off during July. But you can join us at our community advocacy, advocacy circles, excuse me, community advocacy circles. And we just kind of hang out at the office. We talk about what's going to be coming up, how you can talk to your lawmakers. It's a really great space to both um, influence change and, and meet fellow advocates. Um, and we're really excited that we're going to start hosting that now that... Um, we're going to be meeting in person more often. Exactly. Yeah. And Utah Clean Energy, Josh, what's the website and what opportunities for folks to get involved or get educated? Because you guys have a great newsletter that comes out. Yeah. Well, um, please go to utahcleanenergy.org. We're a bit wonkier in terms of how we approach things. Uh, we, we go hand in hand with our partners at Heal, But um, same with all our social media platforms. Take a look at our Instagram, our Twitter, our newsletter, and um, we try to keep folks aw- uh in tune as to what's coming so people can 
make good decisions. You also follow quite closely the incentives and opportunities when it comes to EVs. Yeah, we have a great hub for uh, both efficiency, EVs, and solar. So if you're looking at those options, um, not we understand we need to make sure those are affordable and equitable for everybody, but take a look at our hub. That's some good ways to get that process started. We'll put links to Utah Clean Energy and Heal Utah in tonight's show notes. Thank you so much. Appreciate coming down and uh, getting a lot of great information out. We'll keep following it. Love to have you back and report on what's going on interim, especially as we lead up to the next legislative session. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I'm Laura Jones. This has been Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions, just email radioactive at krcl.org. You got an idea for the show, an organization, someone we should pass the mic to. That's how you do it. Again, thanks for plugging into your community. Democracy Now! is next. KRCL, Salt Lake City. And all this time, you thought that rusted-out pickup truck was junk. Call KRCL's vehicle donation partner, Cars, Inc., to tow your car and donate the proceeds to KRCL. You could pick up a tax deduction while you're at it. Learn more about donating your vehicle to community radio by clicking the support tab at krcl.org.